Whenever you think of, you know, some of those great, I'd call them David and Goliath moments in sports, what are a couple of uh, sporting events or things that you think of when you think of some huge upsets that have taken place, maybe in your lifetime? Any of y'all, just a couple. Red Sox. Okay, boy. That doesn't count because that's uh, north of the Mason-Dixon line, so we're not counting that. I'm just kidding. Yeah, so the Red Sox, I'm assuming when they were down, what, three games to none, that was pretty unbelievable. Any other ones? What was The Cubs. Hey, that's good. Sorry about that. I'm deaf. I'm getting old. Yeah, the Cubs, that was a huge one. I never thought they'd actually win. Um, now, of course, in the basketball tournament this year, the UMBC beat Virginia. If there's any Virginia fans in here, just go ahead and stick your head under the seat. I mean, horrible. So, I mean, but that was an unbelievable game. Now, for me, one of the biggest uh, upsets that I can think of in my lifetime, there's actually a poll done, greatest David and Goliath moments, number one all time, 1980 Winter Olympics. Y'all remember that? Uh, for those of you who are like 25 and uh, older, y'all remember this. I'm kidding. So 1980, United States playing the evil empire, Soviet Union. I mean, I, man, we all hated them. I mean, we're in church, but that's just the truth. We, they were a horrible, horrible nation. So we, and we're playing them in hockey. And they were, the NHL back then, or excuse me, the, uh, the, the Soviet Union back then, they were professionals. That year, they played the NHL All-Stars and beat them six to nothing. I mean, these guys were phenomenal. Uh, they played the American team at the time. It was the youngest ever hockey team ever put together in the Olympics. All 20, the average age was like 21 for the Americans. They played them a couple of weeks before the Olympics, beat them 10 to 3. So we're getting ready to play them in the Olympics. No way we're going to win that game. But if you've seen the movie, Miracle on Ice, which I'm sure you've seen it, the coach, Herb Brooks, believed in his team. He believed in them for big things. He motivated them. And they went out there, and it was unbelievable. America won that hockey game 4 to 3. If you watch that game, and I'm, I was a kid, I watched that. Al Michaels made the famous statement. You remember the famous question he asked? Do you believe in miracles? That's right. I mean, it was unbelievable. I watched that and I was like, yes, I believe in miracles. I mean, I was answering the television. I mean, it was incredible. It was one of those really big moments because there was a group of guys who believed in themselves. And that's why our focus for this, the rest of this year, and in particular for this month, is, is big church. Guys, I want us to believe in big things. And as we start out in the book of Acts, we're going to see this is the birth of the church. And the church was born in Acts chapter 1. As it was born, we see that they had a belief that they could do big things. And they had that belief because they believed that the God they served was a big God. And it all was fueled by the fact that they were a group of people who were willing to get on their knees and to pray to God for big things. And Village Church, that's who I want us to be. I want us to be a group of people, a group of believers who believe that God can still do big things through his people. And so that's why we're going to look in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 12, and we're really going to see that the fuel for their fire was, was prayer. They were a group of people who believed God for big things, but they were willing to get on their knees and to pray to God and ask for it. 
Now, in our text, Jesus had, just a few weeks before, Jesus had gone to the cross. He had been crucified. And then three days later, he rose from the grave. Phenomenal miracle. And now here we are. We're just a few weeks outside of the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus has spent 40 days with his followers. And in that time, Jesus, he began to share the mission that he had for his church, for his people. And it's a mission that still applies to us today. In Acts 1-8, before Jesus left this earth, he said, I have a big task for you. Now, what was it? Well, here's what it says. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, if you look at Acts 1-8 again, there is no doubt Jesus gave his people a huge mission. He said, I am entrusting you with big things here. Now, what was he entrusting, entrusting them with? To be his witnesses. In other words, to share Jesus with other people. And where were they going to do that? They're going to do it, it said, in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria. It's the areas right outside of Jerusalem. And he said, and to the ends of the earth. And they were to start in Jerusalem and then to move out. Now, I don't know about you all, but I look at that and I think, that is a huge job. It's not like the disciples heard this from Jesus and said, no problem, we'll knock this out in a couple of weeks. I mean, it's just a few people who are followers of Jesus. And Jesus said, I want you to spread this message all over the world. So it was an overwhelming challenge. So what they do? So we better get on our knees and pray. And so they began to pray so that they could fulfill the big mission that God gave them. Y'all, we have the same mission today. It is a big mission. We are to be God's witnesses here and wherever we go to the ends of the earth. And we're going to see that for the people who are following Jesus at this time, it drove them to their knees. And it ought to drive us to our knees as well so that we can see God's work accomplished through us. Now, why were the people in our text willing to go to their knees? And I'm just going to share with you just a a few reasons why they were moved to prayer and why we should be moved to prayer as well. The first reason why they were willing to go to their knees in prayer is, is this. It's because they were motivated. They were motivated to talk to God about their mission. In verse number 12, it says, Then they, it's speaking of Jesus' followers, they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olive Grove, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. Now, Jesus gave them their mission in verse number 8. He said, I want you to tell people about me and start, he said, start in Jerusalem. Now, at the time, the followers of Jesus, they were on the eastern side, outside of the gates of Jerusalem, on the Mount of Olives. Jesus gave them the message, and our verse tells us that they, that they returned back into Jerusalem, doing what Jesus told them to do. Now, why would they do what Jesus told them to do? It's real simple. They were motivated. They were motivated to do it. They saw Jesus die, and then the next time they see him, he has conquered death. Now, if we're going to be honest with each other, if you see a dead person come back to life, probably you're going to pay attention to what that person has to say. That's going to blow you away. And then, not only that, so Jesus raises from the dead, and then what does Jesus do? He talks to them, said, this is your mission, and then the Bible says he ascends into heaven. What do y'all think about that? 
Think that gets your attention? I mean, I'm going to be, I'm going to be, it's going to blow me away. This is what our text says, verse number nine. After he said this, he was taken up, it says, as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. So Jesus, he's rising into the heavens, mind blown. Okay? I mean, I'm going to sit there and go, my gosh, what in the world? And if I see that with my own eyes, I am going to say, whatever that guy said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. He's conquered death, and now he's actually going up into heaven. Jesus said, go to Jerusalem. I said, we'll do it. Now, that was a bigger deal than we think. Because you have to remember, just a few weeks before, remember what they did to Jesus when he was in Jerusalem. The political leaders, the religious leaders, they had Jesus arrested, and they nailed him to a cross. The city of Jerusalem, it was not like it was a, you know, it was a hotbed for Jesus. People wanted Jesus dead in that city. And Jesus said to his followers, go back into that city that has hated me and be my witnesses there. Now I look at that and I think, now Jesus, that's a little bit, that's a, that's a big, that's such a big challenge. I think that's a little bit too big of an ask for your people. That's impossible. But Jesus said, I will fill you with my power with the Holy Spirit. Now, that sounds good, but just because something sounds good doesn't mean that it's always going to be good. I can give you a real simple example. Every year, I get excited about college football season coming up. And I see these things, preseason polls. And I start looking, where's Carolina? And if I see Carolina, and I know if Clemson fans, so you do the same thing, so you look. And, but for Carolina fans, it's even more special. <laughs> you know, this is what we hope for. We live for 2001, the best part of the game. So anyway, so I'm sitting there, and I'm looking through the preseason polls, and, and I see Carolina's in there, and I get excited every year. We're ranked number 19. But here's what I'm learning. Just because you're in the preseason polls does not mean you end up there at the end of the year, Right? And that is not good a lot, most of the time. As a matter of fact, I saw, and that's not just us, there, in 70 years, 70 preseason number ones, only 10 of them have actually ended up at the end of the year being number one. Now, Jesus told his disciples, he said, it's preseason polls here. He says, before the games ever started, go to Jerusalem and I'll give you power. I think that sounds good, Jesus. Thanks for the encouraging words, but I don't know if that's really going to happen. But they, they were motivated to believe it was going to happen because remember, when Jesus said this, Jesus is saying this as a man who has conquered death. He is the one who has said this, and right after he said it, they saw him ascend into heaven. They have proof that what Jesus says carries with it great power. And so they were motivated, and they left, and they went back into the city of Jerusalem. This right here is the beginning of the church. It's the first group of people who became a part of the church. The word church, it doesn't mean building. The word church means an assembly of people, assembling together. And whenever we come together as God's people together, the Bible says that we're more than just an assembly of people. We are actually, the Bible says, the body of Christ. Y'all heard that before? We are the body of Christ. Now, we represent the body of Christ because while we are here, we are to be doing the works of Jesus. 
1 Corinthians 12 talks about the body of Christ. It says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. In other words, anybody can be part of the body of Christ. And we were all given the one Spirit to drink, even so the body's not made up of just one part, but of many. Now you, speaking of us as believers, we are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Now, it was exciting news for these guys to know that God had a mission for them. And if they worked together, they could fulfill the mission. Jesus had given them the mission. Uh, Luke 24, 50-53, after they received the mission, here's what they said. It says, Then Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, And lifting up his hands, Jesus blessed his followers. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was carried up into heaven. After worshiping him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple complex praising God. Now, now I want to start off by by saying this. I I need to give a little uh, preamble to the story I'm going to tell. I just want you to know I like babies. I think babies are cute. I think people should have them. Um, I loved my children when they were babies too. But I'll be honest with you, when I'm on an airplane and I see somebody, there's a seat next to me open and I see somebody carrying a baby, here's my prayer. Please God, don't let them sit next to me. And I will say that, I pray that over, now does that make me a bad person? I I don't know. But anyway, so I'm I'm praying that. Now what's um, interesting is JetBlue, the airline, they understand people like me. And I guarantee you, people like you, but you're just acting like you're holy and you're not. And so, so here's what Jet, JetBlue did. They did a special on Mother's Day a few years ago where they had a plane flight. It was a seven-hour flight from New York to California. And they called it Fly Babies. It was on Mother's Day. And so they made it. There's five babies that were on the plane. And here's, here's what they came up with. They said, every time a baby cries... On this plane, we're going to give you 25% off your next flight. 140 people were on that plane. Um, let me tell you something. They said it transformed everybody's thought on the plane with babies. The first baby that cried, they said the plane erupted in cheers. <laughs> so, yeah. So they got excited. 25% off. Uh, in the seven-hour flight, as they were going into California, Baby cried for the fourth time, and the plane went berserk. Everybody on that plane got a free flight for their next flight. I'm, th- I'm, I'm looking for these fly baby deals. I haven't seen one yet. Not another one. Now, so people got really excited. Now, they said we did this. They said it totally changed the attitude of everybody on board the plane when we shared with them what the deal was. Instead of being angry and frustrated People, even though they had children next to them that were crying, it changed them and they could live with it because they thought, in the future, I'm getting a free ticket. Here's the followers of Jesus. They have an irritating deal here. Go into Jerusalem where they've just killed your leader. But they went in with, Bible says, with great joy. Why? Because of the deal. What was the deal? Jesus said, I'll give you life. Death will not conquer you. I can transform brokenness. I can heal hearts 
that have been split in two. And so they entered into the city of Jerusalem with great joy. They were motivated because they saw Jesus. Now here's a question for us. Are we motivated? Are we inspired? Are we inspired to fulfill the mission that God has given us because of what Jesus did for us? You know, I I look at the people, the men and the women in our text, and I see they were willing to get on their knees in prayer and pray and ask for big things because they were motivated. But not only that, they were willing to get on their knees and pray for big things because because they had support. And they weren't just all by themselves. In, In verse number 13, it says, And when they arrived, when they got in Jerusalem, they went to the room upstairs. We call this the upper room where they were staying. It says, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Now, when they came into Jerusalem, they came to an upper room where they were staying, and they gathered together. Now, now who is they? Well, it was, it was the disciples. If you count the names, there's only 11 of them there. The one that's missing is Judas Iscariot. Remember, this is after, after the crucifixion of Jesus, after his resurrection, and Judas went into a field and he took his own life. So there's only 11 disciples here. But now I want you to look at, again, at verse number 13. Who is, the, who is the first name on the list in verse 13 of who was there? It's Peter. First name on the list. And I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, he needs to be bumped down a few. Because remember, just a few weeks before, remember what Peter did? He, do you know this man? Are you one of this man's disciples? He denied Jesus on three different occasions. And then I look at this list and he's number one on the list. And what does that mean? Well, it meant that God said, I'm going to use you, I'm going to use Peter to be one of the main leaders of the church. You see, even though he had failed, even though he had stumbled, even though you fail, even though we stumble, God, because of who he is, can use any of us when we are open to his leadership. Now, they weren't the only 11 that were gathering together. Verse number 20 tells us the number of people who were gathering together. It was about 120 of them. Now, now, why were they together? Well, they were together because Jesus, Jesus gave them a mission. He said, first of all, go to Jerusalem. Tell people about the risen Jesus. So 120 of them were obedient to Jesus. They went back into Jerusalem. They, they were coming together in order to spread the good news of Jesus. Now, here's what I see about this. Y'all, whenever we stay together, when we work together, we are able to do so much. There is great power. There is great force that comes whenever people work together. We are the body of Christ. Remember 1 Corinthians 12, we are the body of Christ. Now, the body is powerful when the body works together. Now, if the body, if different body parts decide to work individually, it's going to be a mess. I mean, just think about what, what if your eyelids just decided on their own, and I'm taking a break today. You know, I'm not going to work, I'm not going to open up. Now, that happens. I've seen that happen. I've seen it happen in church where your eyelids take a break for a while. Now, if, you're, if your eyelids decide not to function, how is that, is that going to affect the rest of the body? Absolutely. You're not going to be able to get around. You're going to bump into things. So whenever, though, the body works together, the body's phenomenal in the activities that it can do, what it can accomplish. Whenever we come together as people and we work together, 
we can accomplish a lot. The Bible speaks of the blessings of, of being more than just individuals, but coming together to work together. In Ecclesiastes 4, 9-12, through 12, it says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their efforts. And for if either falls, his companion can lift him up, but pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person keep warm alone? And if someone overpowers one person, two are better because they can resist him. The cord of three strands is not easily broken. Now, as believers, it is important that we come together, that we work together, that we pray together. Because when we are together, there is a greater force. There is a greater work that can be done. Two are always better than one. You know, I was, uh, whenever my, my, my sons come home, we don't watch movies, we'll watch, you know, sports, and then they'll come home and they'll share with me the latest, funniest, or interesting stories they've seen on, you know, on YouTube. And so that's, that's, that's how we spend our time. It's very intellectual. And so, but they showed me this one video, so I thought it was really neat. It was about a family, it's a farmer in Nebraska, it's 1981, and they bought a farm, and it had a barn on it, there was a historical barn, but it was, it was in a low, a low part of the farm, so every time it rained, it would flood the floor. And this went on for about seven or eight years, and finally there's 27 inches, there's 27 inches of water on the floor, and they said, we got to move this thing. And so they called, uh, they called some company to see if they could actually move that barn, and, uh, when they found out how much it cost, they said, well, we can't afford that. Now, their son had figured out how much the barn weighed. So his parents said, we can't move the barn. We don't know what to do. Son said, uh, he, said I fig- he said, that barn weighs 16,400 pounds. He said, I think I can build some railings on the outside of the house and through the house to where we can manually lift the barn up ourselves. 16,400. He said, now, if we get 350 people together, he said each person will be responsible for about 56, 57 pounds when they lift it up, and we can carry it out. And they said, well, where are we going to get those people? Well, it happened to be it was the town, Bruno, Nebraska's 100th, it was their centennial anniversary as a town, and so they said, let's have it at our farm. And so they did, and 350 people came together, and they picked up that barn. He would made the railings around the house and inside the house, and they lifted up the house. They carried the house 111 feet up a six-foot grade, and we're able to relocate the barn. You can watch it on YouTube if you don't believe me. Now, don't watch it now, but you can watch it later. So it's pretty neat. I, I sat there and I watched it, and I was like, that's really cool. Now, if 350 people working together can move a barn, what do you think the body of Christ can do if we work together for the same mission, the same purpose? Tell you something, we're not just going to move barns. Y'all, we can move mountains. We can see cities, communities, nations transform. Say, ah, you don't really believe that, do you? Okay, let's look. Acts 1. How many people were here in Acts 1? 120. It's the very first church. They became the foundation for the church. You know, today, there are over 2 billion people who claim to be followers of Christ in our world. And the foundation for 2 billion people is 120 men and women who believed in God 
for big things. Who believe that the message of Jesus was worth sharing because of the life that he offers. Because of forgiveness that he's willing to give. Because he can take people who have hearts that are broken and he can mend them and heal them. He can take families who have been crushed by grief and he can provide them with hope. There's 120 people who came together and they laid the foundation on which we are standing today. And they started off by praying. Why did they pray? Why were they willing to do that? Well, they're motivated. They had support. They had each other. And then finally, they were willing to get on their knees because they were unified. They were unified in their purpose. The last verse I'll read, verse 14, and it says all these, all 120, they were continually united. What were they united in? They were united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They were meeting together constantly. Now, I'll be honest with you. I am not, I, I've never enjoyed meetings. Now, here's what I've always thought about meetings. And typically, we get together in meetings, and we, we do talk. We talk about stuff, and then we never do anything. And then we, so you just, and, and to me, I just and I think, and just in general, I'm not talking about all meetings, but just in general, I feel like meetings are a waste of time. And I can think of funner ways that I can waste my time than sitting in a meeting. Now, there are some people who view the church like that. So here's the church. You get together on Sundays, and you talk about how bad the world is, and you don't do anything about it, and then you go home, and then you come together the next Sunday, and you do the same thing. Now, that's a view a lot of people have of the church, but I want us to examine what the first church was like. What were they doing? Well, we're told that they were getting together consistently. Look, it says all these were continually united. They were continually getting together. They were consistently getting together. That, that means that they were getting together, they were worshiping, they were supporting each other, they were working together, and they did it consistently. Did you know, as believers, we are to gather together consistently. It's not something we're to do, you know, like once every, you know, three years. We're to get together consistently. Every preacher's favorite verse is Hebrews 10.25. It says, let us not neglect meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Y'all see this, I have this memorized. As some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more, as you see the day approaching. Well, it is important that we gather together as believers celebrating together, supporting each other, building each other up. It's a way we get to know each other. But it's not that they were just simply getting together. They were unified in what? Verse 14, they were unified in prayer. They had a purpose. They were unified in their purpose. What were they praying for? What they were praying for? The mission of Jesus to be accomplished. What was the mission of Jesus? What did he say we're responsible for doing? Spreading the news, the good news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And he says, and you are to encourage one, and, one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. They were praying for the good news of Jesus to spread. Village Church, I, I want us to believe God for big things. I want us to believe that God can use ordinary people just like you and just like me in order to spread the message of Christ. And if we are obedient to him, God's going to come through. 
He's going to do what he says that he's going to do. You know, when I read that verse, it makes me think of something. It makes me think of the power and the influence that we have the privilege to yield when we come together on purpose praying for the same purpose, making sure that we are tuned to Christ. Now, our job is our job as a church, we, we don't come up with our own purpose. Jesus already did that. He already told us what our purpose is. It is to spread and to share the good news of Jesus. Now, if we're going to do that, we have to intentionally do that. That doesn't just naturally happen. You know, we don't just come together and then all of a sudden people are just going to start hearing about Jesus. We have to be intentional in that. We have to say, hey, we need to start making plans. We need to be out in the community making sure we're in places where we are going to be able to speak of Jesus. Now, that's not my natural tendency. My natural tendency is to sit at home and watch YouTube videos and eat chips. That's my natural tendency. So if I'm going to see big things, then I have to get up and be intentional and say, Lord, because I believe in you, I'm going to do what you say. So what, what can we do to see that happen? Well, if you look in verse 14 again, as believers, we must, as a church, be united. And we have to be united in prayer. The power of the church is always rooted in prayer. It was rooted in them calling out to God for his purpose to be accomplished through them. And here's what happened. 120 people got together and they prayed. As you read through the book of Acts, and you can even read in history. I mean, I'm talking about you know secular history books from this time period on. 120 people turned the world upside down. The world became different. Christians eventually transformed the Roman Empire. Y'all, our world is a better place when Christians gather together and we work together in one purpose for the mission that Jesus has called us to. If 120 people can turn the world upside down, what do you think we can do? What do you think we can do with God working through us? He can turn... He can turn your house upside down. He can turn your community upside down. He can turn our state upside down. He can turn our world upside down as the body of Christ comes together and we get on our knees saying, Jesus, fulfill your mission through us. Why'd they do it? Why'd they get on their knees? They're motivated. They saw the risen Savior. They had support. They had each other. And they were unified in their purpose. Now, let me tell you something. I really believe this. If we join together, we tune ourselves into Jesus and his purpose, I really think this. It will be one fun ride at Village Church and for believers in our community. If we unite together, it will be fun to step back and say, look at what God has done. And we were a part of it. Let's believe God for big things. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word. We are gra- I am grateful, Jesus, for this very first church. 120 people who came together and they believed in you for big things and they offered big prayers. And God, you transformed history. 
Jesus, I pray that in the lives of believers today that we will come together, we will be unified together, we will pray for your mission to be accomplished. And God, I pray that you will answer our big prayers and that we will sit back and say, look at what God has done. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.